Ronananian. It's not just electric and hybrids. It's self-driving cars. It's going to be flying cars. And in my wildest imagination, Uber is going to try and launch flying cars. Meet George Jetson. The car doctor. Dad always said you have to make sure of what you're doing and always be certain. He goes, remember this. When you're at 30,000 feet, there's no cloud to get out and park on while you're trying to adjust that whatever. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome. Start your engines. Ronnie and Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Get in. Let's talk about it. Let's solve your car problem at 855-560-9900. More information available about this radio show at cardoctorshow.com. Podcasting there also at TuneIn, iHeart, iTunes, all the usual great good places that you can go to and click subscribe, please, if you can, and take this podcast with you and take this radio show with you as we go out across these 80-some-odd affiliates across this great country of ours and around the world at this point via the courtesy of the Internet and streaming, which also streaming is available at cardoctorshow.com. And let me point out, too, that 855-560-9900 is a 24-7 toll-free number. You can call, leave a message. If we're not live on the air, we go out Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on the radio network, and the affiliates pick us up and start to take us across the country. But you can call 855-560-9900 anytime, day or night. Leave a message, and our producer, Tom Ray, will call you back and get you in the lineup for the next live broadcast. We can talk about your car problem. Speaking of car problems... 2013 F-150 pick-em-up truck came into the shop recently at RA Automotive with a 3.5 V6. The 3.5 V6 has really started to come on strong in in the last five or six years for Ford. They're, they're doing an awful lot with it. They have a bunch of variations on it, turbocharged, non-turbocharged, and it's, it's appearing across the board in a lot of vehicles. But one of the things they're using as a common denominator uh, in these engines is, regardless of whether it's turbo or not, is they're changing valve timing. They're modifying valve timing. You know, never did I realize or even dream back when I was a kid, uh, you know, you, you'd start to play with cam advance and dialing in a cam and over-advancing or retarding uh, cam or crank in relation to each other to go faster or change power curve that manufacturers would start to do it electronically. Think of it like this. You've got a bicycle. You've got a bicycle with two sprockets and a chain. There, you, you paint two red dots: one on the cam, one on the one on the crank, or one on the big sprocket and one on the small sprocket. And for every uh, every two revolutions of one, the other one goes around, and they both line up again. That's they're lined up. They're at top dead center. Now, when you want to create more power under certain situations, maybe you want that one sprocket ahead of the other, so certain things occur in the way the engine runs to help deliver fuel, that fuel charge to the cylinders quicker or to scavenge or exhaust spent fuel in the terms of combustion process back out the vehicle. So, you know, there's moments where you're going to vary cam timing. 
And they do that by virtue of variable camshaft timing actuators, electronic devices that work off of and with oil pressure and oil itself. Keeping that in mind, I started to diagnose this particular 2013 F-150, which was sitting a bunch of trouble codes. It was a P0014. It was uh, indicating problems also P054A and 54C, which talks about problems within the variable cam timing actuator control circuits. After a lot of diagnosis, because it was an intermittent fault, I finally caught it in the act on a cold, damp morning where the exhaust cam actuator on bank one went as went out as far as it could and it got stuck. And the reason I know it got stuck is because I took it out, looked at it, and I found some sludge, some debris in the screen. Not necessarily debris, just, you know, schmutz. You know what schmutz is? you got to be from New Jersey and New York. No, it's not. Tom's looking at Tony. No, it's not Tony. That's another word. All right? Uh, schmutz is that, that biodegradable, uh, non-consumable uh, pile of grit and crud that develops inside engines. And I was surprised to see it because this was only an 80,000-mile engine. This wasn't a lot of... Uh, this wasn't a lot of miles. It wasn't a regular customer. We'd never seen it before. So naturally, I went back and I questioned oil changes and oil change frequency, only to find that it had been strictly a quick lube customer, and they probably went a little longer on their oil changes than they'd like to admit. Um, you know, they were following the schools of thought of 10 and 12 and 15,000-mile oil changes, not realizing that after I educated them with regards to where schmutz comes from, sludge, that they've really got to be using an oil that's rated to go that distance, and they've got to be using an oil filter that's rated to go longer distance. You know, we don't talk about oil filters a lot before I tell you the end of the story. We don't talk about oil filters a lot, and, and one of the things we need to address is nothing will protect an engine better than a quality oil filter. All right? So just be mindful when you're picking oil, when you're picking oil filters, you know, I'm going to tell you, you want to go out to Pennzoil and read all about Pennzoil Synthetics, PennzoilSynthetics.com, and, and, and look at what they've got going on. But I'm also going to tell you that, you know, we don't talk about Wix enough, and we should. We use Wix in the shop. Um, one of their key features, other than just the size of the pleats and the way the filters are made, silicon drain back valve so it holds up better for the long haul. And all of those things, all of the way those filters are manufactured, are what you're going to need in vehicles such as, you know, think of how basic a 2013 F-150 is, right? It's not it's not it's not sexy like a BMW or or, or a Mercedes, okay? It's a bread and butter vehicle. And my point is that even in a 2013 F-150 work truck like this one was, where they weren't doing proper oil changes, they weren't doing proper oil, they weren't using a good quality filter the issue became that it started to break down in the 70 and 80,000 mile mark and created a problem with particulate and contaminant, and it affected the valve timing actuators. It built up sludge. It, it, it allowed the engine to varnish up early. Things weren't being done properly. So my point becomes, as good as they are, they still only work as well as you allow them to by what sort of maintenance you give them. Bottom line, I clean the actuator. I clean both actuators, actually and put it together, did a fresh hot oil change, put in a, put in a Wix, 
put in some Pennzoil Synthetic. Because one of the nice things about Pennzoil Synthetic is it's got a it's got a real strong ability. It's got a nasty streak to it, for lack of a better way to put it. It will help break down sludge and varnish and clean it up. And we're going to bring that vehicle back in about 1,500 miles and change the oil again just to do it early. I also want to cut the filter open and see what sort of contaminants trapped in there. I saw all kinds of squiggly, ugly things in this in, in the last oil filter that I took apart. But the point becomes that the the filter that's going to come out will get looked at also. Bottom line, did a good oil change, Pennzoil, Wicks. Put it together out the road. It's been out there about two and a half weeks. Haven't had the problem reoccur. And that just goes to show you how something as small as schmutz, all right, um, particulate, you don't think the oil change can can create a performance problem. It does. So what they're using, how they're using it, how often they're replacing it really can affect long-term operation of the vehicle. So just, just be mindful of it when you're out there, whether you're going into your repair shop and saying, hey, what do you use? Or if you're doing it on your own, which I don't think the DIY oil change market is growing. I think it's shrinking. But, um, you know, if you're doing that, if you're doing it on your own, by all means, make sure you're using good quality stuff because as simple as you may think your vehicle is, nothing's that simple anymore. 855-560-9900. I'm in the car doctor. Let's pull over and take the pause. When we get back, we're going to kick the garage doors wide open. The phones are full. Don't go away. I'm coming right back. Welcome back. Ron and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. The phone number to get in here to the Car Doctor hotline. Get in here to Car Doctor Central. Maybe we should start calling it that, Car Doctor Central, and we can solve your problem. Let's go over and talk to Scott, Detroit, Michigan. Scott, you can't call from Detroit. You've got all the manufacturers right there. What could be wrong with this Ford truck? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make well, any sense. I'm not, re- I'm not entirely sure. First, I needed a battery prematurely. The truck's only two years old. It has about 63,000 miles on it. I bought it new. Um, it's charging fine. I wasn't really sure why that would be. Recently, it stalled a couple times on me at a light and then a few times on the way home. So I dropped it at the dealer and they had it for eight days only to tell me that it needed a new fuel cutoff relay. So when they gave it back to me, of course, I have this in my hand. It smells bad. Okay, maybe it's bad. I don't know. And a few weeks later, all of a sudden, nothing would happen. No instrumentation, no lighting, anything. They have it for a few more days, and they tell me that there's a problem in the harness, and they claim the harness had corrosion in it uh, near the front of the engine or, let's say, you know, in the engine compartment on the, the right front fender. Area. Let me ask you this: What what happened, or what what? Why did it need a battery? Is what I'm trying to get at. How did it had the battery fail? It failed in the driveway. So I you, don't know. Other than I thought, well, gee, I leave things plugged in at night, such as GPS and so on. Maybe I shouldn't do that in the winter here; it gets cold. Right. Uh, maybe I thought maybe I taxed it prematurely. Uh, as it turns out, maybe that's not the case. I mean, maybe there's some resistance in the harness that shouldn't be there. Well, um, okay, so I've, I've got a bunch of questions and what-ifs, all right? Uh, you know, this is a 2013. There should be... 2015. 2015. 2015. Okay, it's a 2015. Yeah. There should be a battery reset. You know, you replace a battery, you've got to tell the PCM, hey, I changed the battery, here's the new resistance value, here's the new battery, the way it looks electrically to the system. You would okay. hope You would hope they did that. Uh, you know, because I have seen not doing that create a bunch of screwy problems, especially on as the vehicle gets newer and closer to 
to this model year, the, the, the technology is multiplying so quickly that they need to do a BSM, a battery system monitor reset, uh, whenever it a battery is done replaced. done by me. I changed the battery myself, so maybe I failed in that regard. Okay, so maybe that's got to be done. Um, and the only way you're going to be able to do that is with a scan tool. Uh, you know, okay. gee whiz, that's, this is that conversation again about what scan tools do so much more than just codes and functionality. And, you know, it's it's the special functions of scan tools. Here's one where you've got to have a scan tool to reset the system for a battery install. So I would verify if that has to be done. I'm thinking it does. That's number one. Number two, when it goes into this stalling condition, I'd be curious to see what the computer looks like both before and after. And by that, I'm saying, are you familiar with the term fuel trim? Yes. Okay. I have so, to listen to your show. I am. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Um, you know, so fuel trim is zero plus or minus five percent. So maybe your maybe your short term fuel trim is is five percent, and your long term fuel trim is ten percent, and 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 so on. You know, you can disconnect the battery and do your install and reset, and that'll go to zero uh, because it lost power. So the question I've got is, does fuel trim go back to zero? Or does it stay at that 5 and 10% or 10 and 15%, whatever that number is? In other words, has the computer gone through a reset? Did it lose its value? Remember in the old days, a million years ago, if you disconnected the battery, the, the radio lost the presets? So Prior to the button or after the buttons, yeah. Right. You know, so I want to know, you know, I, I don't trust that anymore because so many manufacturers now hard code, you know, battery or radio presets into the radio. So I go in and I look at the computer data. Does it look like the computer data reset? If the computer data didn't reset, then that tells me that it didn't lose memory, that perhaps this is a component failure causing the vehicle to shut down or or do the erratic things it's doing. If the computer is showing zero, you know, it, it, it's sort of in that relearn mode of operation across the board, then I've got to think, okay, why did the PCM lose power? Ignition switch, battery connections, ground connection, PCM itself, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to go. So I would be looking at that as just another alternative source. You know, has Ford indicated what next steps are, if any? Where are they going with this? They have been um, friendly but not very helpful. They said that there's a problem in the harness. They opened the harness up, which I can see evidence of because it's been put back together. It's the fresh insulation on it and so on. They said it was corroded which begs the question in my mind, why would it be corroded, especially in theory because it's copper? And furthermore, my last Super Duty, which had 345,000 miles on it in the same environment, never exhibited these kinds of problems. So where? So why would a new one? Where's the corrosion? The corrosion, that is. Where's the corrosion in relation to the battery? Well, it's on that side of the engine compartment, meaning passenger. Okay. However, not underneath the battery, but forward of it, up near the header, if you will, the part of the panel that the radiator is attached to and so on. Uh, uh, but uh, I have no evidence of lick leaks of any sort so or signs outwardly of corrosion. No corrosion and going up. every winter a couple times as well. You know. No corrosion going up the battery cable, Scott? None. Then, yeah, I'd like to know, where the, I'd like to know where the corrosion is coming from myself. Because that's if a, that's really what it was. Right. Uh, you know, because that's an easy thing to say. So then why aren't we changing that harness as silly as I know that's a silly question, but I know I'm going to get a silly answer. <laughs> um, you know, if if I find something that's bad on the car, I go, Scott, this is bad. This is 
And, you know, Ron's rule, fix what you know is bad, go on to the next thing. Um, not saying there's just one problem with any one vehicle. So why aren't they changing that one harness? Have they? Is this under warranty? I have to ask that question. Is this under warranty it yet? It is not. It is not. I'm out of my miles, and I did not trust the aftermarket extended warranty plan, which is why I didn't spend the money on it. Right. I heard too many stories about those being bogus, so I just didn't do that. Right. Right. Well, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, brother. So don't let it beat you up. Um, you know, <laughs> let's let's just figure out how to fix this. So, have they given you a price to replace the harness, or are they saying it's not necessary? They said neither. The problem is, it's almost like going to the restaurant. You got one person takes your order, another one brings it. You don't even talk to the mechanic. So you have a guy who interviews you at the desk, and then he basically briefs you when you pick up your vehicle. He doesn't really know anything, and that's a good question because. In my mind, uh, uh, I do technical work. I work on furnaces and air conditioners. And I offer options. I try to explain what the causes are, what prevention is, and uh, try to find a practical solution. And then for repair is more practical than replacement. Beautiful, but I at least mention that. I think, and there's two ways to do this, okay, because I think you and I have some questions that we want answers to. So I think there's two ways to approach this. Is this the dealer where you bought the truck? It is. Okay. Have you gone back and talked, since you're not getting anywhere with service, have you gone and talked to the to, to the service manager? Not yet. Okay. That's 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 the first question. Or maybe or the first the first thought. Maybe before that, maybe it's a trip to Dunkin' Donuts, box of munchkins. <laughs> Let me lay this out for you, all right? Box of munchkins, okay, a, a, a jug of coffee, and you walk in there on a crowded Friday morning when they're doing all those while-you-wait oil changes. Hey, I want to thank you guys for all your efforts trying to fix and service my vehicle. I was wondering if I could just buy the mechanic that worked on my truck a cup of coffee and maybe talk to him for five minutes about what he thinks the next steps are. See how they handle that. When that gets you nowhere, go talk to the go talk to the shop foreman and then go talk to the owner of the dealership because at 63,000 miles, you're right. You shouldn't have half these problems. Somebody's missing something somewhere. Two and two is adding up to be five. Do that, Scott, and promise me. Call me back. Let me know what happens. I'm curious. I'll do what I can for you. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Doctor rolling along on my own highway here at 855-560-9900. Let's go over and talk to Walter in Maine, 07 Chevy van. Walter, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Well, hello, Ron. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I've got a 2007 Chevy Express van that I I bought from the uh, AC company that I work for. Um, the technician that drove it um, told me that uh, when I was buying it, he says, oh, it's got some spongy brakes. Other than that, it's in good shape. Yeah, why worry about and, that? Um, <laughs> well, no, it wasn't that big a deal. Right. So uh, I took it to my mechanic after we bought it, and and uh, he took uh, he put it up on the you know up on the lift and checked everything out and uh, no leaks anywhere and he he flushed the brakes, uh, threw it out, tried to bleed the air out and he couldn't get the bubble out or whatever you know whatever was causing that and. So uh, he he had me bring it back to him a second time, and uh, he put a whole quart of brake fluid through that thing, flushing it, trying uh, to to get those brakes to t- 
stiffen up. Now, I found out from the previous technician that had that van, he said that it had been into the dealership twice to try and fix the brakes, and they never did get the, um, the sponge out of it. Okay, let me ask you. Yeah, let me let me ask you this question, Walter. Have the brakes been apart? Was your service? Was the system opened? Any evidence of you know caliper brake repair, anything like that? Or do you think this is well? Yeah, I, I believe that they that they had to replace a caliper or something here and there down the road. It does have ABS brakes, right? And this um, was, was this all, is ever since was done by the dealership, right? But this is ever since. But, um. Yeah, I don't know exactly when. I, Ira didn't tell me when the uh, brakes started sponging. Um, I bought the vehicle that had 180,000 miles on it. Um, and uh, my guess is somewhere around 100,000 is when they started sponging out. Okay. He had it into the dealership twice. Right. Um, my mechanic was thinking the next step would be to replace the ABS control, you know, well, and, uh, be, before we said, before we do that, okay, because that's yeah. kind of where I was going too. My first question is, when you turn the key on, all right, yep. not the engine, but turn the key on. Does the ABS light on the dashboard light up? Uh, I believe it does. Okay, so it passes bulb check. Nobody's pulled the bulb. Second thing, right? Exactly. Just just for giggles. I would love yeah. to, I would love to scan this vehicle and see what fault codes are in any of the controllers at 180,000 miles. I'm sure there's going to be a few, but I just want to see is there anything that the car is not happy with that might lead to the solution for this particular problem. I know it, you know, right. and a lot of guys are going to sit there and say no, it's a waste of time. You know what? Humor me. All right, you'll be su- yeah. you'll be surprised my, what you find. Yeah, my mechanic, he did put it on the scanner. He said that he scanned the, uh, the he checked the ABS. There were no fault codes whatsoever. Okay, good. That's what. That's why he thought it was really straight. It it, it, it really confused him because, uh, and, and I was told that there's a special way to bleed through the ABS. You have to do some type of. Um, wave a magic wand over the ABS or something like that. Well, you, know, you need to bleed, to bleed through that. Right. You need you need and, a scan tool that, under special functions, has the automated system bleed procedure built into it. It's a very specific procedure, and if it's not okay. done, you will have this exact problem that you're experiencing. That was my third. That was my third option. Actually, that was my fourth option. My third option was because components have been replaced. Yeah. I, w- I would just want to verify, A, do the components that were replaced look proper, and B, and I know this is going to sound stupid, I've, I've seen cases where I've seen brake calipers installed upside down, I've seen bleeders in the wrong place, <laughs> I've seen, dude, I've seen it all, all right? And, y- y- you know, I... I, oh, I there was a There was a Ford, there was a Ford Escort many, 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 many years ago um, yeah. that... The shop down the street couldn't get a brake pedal out of it. They had a left caliper on the right side, and it it, it did mount. It mounted upside down. I went down and looked at it, and the bleeder's pointing to the ground. And I'm going, boy, that's not going to work, uh, you know. So, you know, and I kind of half kidded the guy. I said, you know, if you drill a hole right here, you can let the air out. And he 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 sort of took me serious. I had to explain to him, like, Whew. you know, I think he's I, I think he's I think he's working at Starbucks now because he's no longer a mechanic, but. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I can believe that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, but then after that, I would go through the automated bleed procedure. Before I he, believe I believe he did that because um, um, my, uh, my mechanic's pretty uh, on the ball, but okay. I'll double check and see if this schedule has that. I know they have the, uh, the schedules for it, right. but, um, but um, and I'm pretty darn sure I remember him saying something about doing the bleeding through the ABS. Right. But I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that it, the, uh, he went that direction with it. Um, so if he was able to do that, and if all of the parts <laughs> are installed correctly with the correct part, <laughs> um, then the next step would be uh, replace the ABS, huh? Well, before you got there, then the only other thing yeah. I would tell you is there's two. I've seen guys, there are ways to bypass the ABS, just take it out of the system and put a set of uh, you know connections and, 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 and lines in just to bypass yeah. it and bleed it, and you can go through that pain. And I don't recommend yeah. that as that's not the fix. No. That's just a test. Uh, the the other right. way is, you know, if you go to the master and block off the feed lines out of the master, make up some blocks. Do you have a good solid pedal then? You know, start oh, start start testing components coming down the line. You know, process of elimination. Okay. If you can verify, oh. it, you know, if there's seven components in the system and you can verify yep. six is good, clear cut, right, absolutely. <laughs> Then the only yeah. possibility where there could be errors in the seventh or a defect is in the seventh. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be there. So yeah, you know, I guess it might be possible that something's failing but not showing up right. in the computer. Well, as well. right. I mean, this so. if this is a mechanical failure of the ABS module, computer will never see a fault code for it. It's looking for a sensor failure, something yeah. electrical, a mechanical response. Right. But but like I said, and when I talk about components, I'm also looking for. Is this a drum brake or a rear disc brake vehicle? Hmm. I couldn't tell you. I okay. have not had. I have not had the privilege or or the uh, trouble of having to go to that uh, uh, with the rear wheels off. I've never looked on that on that side. Is I, it? Is it? I'm assuming they're drum. It's a okay. 2007. Okay. Well, but, I, uh, my it, understanding it, is they it, come both ways. Uh, yeah. You know, so my comment would be, okay, are the rear brakes adjusted properly? Are the wheel yeah. cylinders working? Are the wheel cylinders correct? So, yeah. you know, it's, um, it's, 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 I, it's... I I trust that most... I, I, uh, my mechanic went through it all. Uh, Nick is extremely thorough. He's, he's phenomenal. Right. Indy Auto up there in town, up in Pittsfield, Maine. Really good guy. Um, and if something wasn't right, he would have he would have uh, see, he would have caught it. He's really on the ball, right? Right. So uh, I'm I'm thinking that uh, it's possible that his scans will didn't have that um, bleed function, or you might be right. There might be some a mechanical issue with the ABS. Right. So usually yeah. my my experience has been that when that ABS controller is bad. It sets a yeah. fault, it sets a fault code, and I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying right. if if we wanted to play percentages, if we wanted to let percentages fix the car, I'm going to tell you yeah. eight, eight out of ten times, eight out of ten times that component will set okay. a failure code. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I haven't seen that fail without an indication from the ABS controller. That being said, okay. I would take those steps that I'm talking about, and I yeah. would take those steps I'm talking about, and and go through right. it. 
you know, just to see where that gets you, because I think you'll see that, uh, um, you know, that will tell you what's, uh, you know, what's going on here. All right, sir. Go ahead. Do that. And um, give us a call back. Let us know how it works out. But, uh, yeah, look out for left left side calipers on the right side of vehicles. 855-560-9900. The car doctor's coming back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the end of the car doctor. Let's real quick get back into it. Ken in Missouri, 89 Escort. How can I help you, sir? Yeah, I, I got this 89 Escort. It's in excellent shape inside and out and everything. But, uh I was talking to a guy, I'm I'm more into VAs, but uh, talking to this guy, and he works on a lot of stuff, you know, and he said they had camshaft issues with them. you know anything about that? Um, I don't think that, I think maybe what he's referring, is he referring to the cams going bad, or is he referring yeah. to, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I don't recall that from 89, I remember the early 80s and 85, 86, and then after that, they kind of got the problem solved. Okay. But I've got to tell you, at this point, it's an 89, so what is it, 99, 2009, it's 30 years old. At, at, at this yeah, point, it's got about, yeah, it's a little over 100,000 miles right. on it. It's the cleanest burning engine you've ever seen. Right. So at this point, you know what? As long as it lasts, it lasts because you're not going to take it apart uh, and put a cam in it anyway, right? I got uh, good oil in it, yeah. Right. It, you know, yeah, um, and, and it sounds good. Yeah, so, I just know. Have you done a this timing guy belt? kind of kind of made me a little disappointed in it, you know, when he told me that. Yeah. No, I mean, have you done, <laughs> have you done a timing belt to it, Ken? Yes, I did. You know that lip that comes out there underneath the pulley? Yep. It's right real close. It says take that pulley off, but you can still get a belt in there without doing that. Yeah, but you got it on there, and that's 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 yeah, probably the yeah. more important uh-huh. piece. So, yeah, it, but, uh, yeah, well, I, I appreciate your information. You're welcome, sir. And I want to thank you for helping all of us out here. Well, you're very welcome. I'm glad to be here for you. You give us a call anytime. You take good care. Let's get on over and talk to uh, Mike in Danella, New Jersey. Mike. Hey, Ron. How you doing? I haven't talked to you in a little bit. Yeah, it's been a bit. What's going on? Was uh, I was just looking through uh, some things the other day and uh, read an article about uh, driverless cars and the Google car again. They're making some more progress with it, and I, I figure I'm not going to be able to do that because I can't get a license. But uh, what, what's your opinion of that? I mean, because it, it can't be much fun. I mean, you can't really probably exercise the car like you'd want or anything like that. It's probably really prohibitive. It has to pay the speed limits and all that, right? You know, Mike, I think, I think, and again, you know, I think in reality, driverless anything is, is a while coming because I don't think we're ready for it. I don't think we're smart enough for it as a society. All right? Let's, let's think of it like this. Let's say people own self-driving cars or worse they own self-driving flying cars oh boy right we can't get people to do proper maintenance on something they drive at 60 70 miles an hour all day long because they're putting off repairs they're putting off maintenance they'll worry and wait about it until it breaks down now i've also been reading about these cars that, that follow the lanes of the you know road right and um that would mean that they would have to paint all these lanes, a certain, you know, wouldn't they have to put some kind of special paint on them, or does it just see the surface and stay between the my two under- lines? I don't well, know how that works. My understanding is that generation of self-driving cars, and I'm not kidding, won't work in states like West Virginia because right. it's, it's a very rural state. It's a lot of country roads, and there aren't white lines in a lot of places. So, oh. and, and granted, you know, is, is the population going to, you know, are, when they do self-driving cars, is everybody going to do it? And, you know, I don't think that ability is there. I'll tell you what will be interesting, and then I'm going to go. 
What, right. I, what I think is going to happen is I think in time we'll go to self-driving cars. And I think driving your own car is going to become very expensive wow. and very tedious because there will be less support for that type of operation and transportation. Self-driving cars will become what driving cars are, and driving cars will become the expense of similar to owning a horse of the last century. And I think it's going to be get it's it's going to go in that direction. It's not going to be mainstream anymore. So we'll see, Mike. I appreciate the call, and uh, as always, hang in there. And uh, thanks for being a member of the Car Doctor Nation. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. We're coming back right after this. Welcome back, Ryan. The Car Doctor winding it down this hour. Let's go over to Eric in Michigan real quick. Oh nine GMC. Eric, what's going on? Hey, good afternoon. Uh... Yes, sir. Love the show. Thank you. Heavy uh two thousand nine GMC Yukon and excuse me, a couple of weeks ago I was listening, you guys had a Subaru owner that was having a problem with the uh fuel fuel pump. Okay. And uh I have the same thing with mine. Uh of course I'm told I have a fuel pump and two fuel pump uh modules. And uh so I took it into my mechanic, um, ended up cleaning up the uh the connectors put it all back together, was told it wasn't the fuel pump itself. Uh, it was stalling, um, pulling out of a parking lot or trying to accelerate. Right. And uh, I was told it was uh, uh, the mo- the fuel pump module itself. Yeah, very common. So it went, went down to the GM uh, dealership because it was a parts only needed to be programmed. And they've been unable to du- duplicate the problem. So the mechanic is uh, thinking that maybe uh, cleaning up the the connectors and such, uh, essentially. It it could have. I mean, I wasn't there to see how dirty the connectors were. How dirty were the connections, or was this just somebody trying something based on, well, we can't duplicate a problem. Let's let's do something that you know says we did something. So uh, they don't. Um, the cleaning of the connectors wasn't wasn't actually anything that they tried to to fix the issue. It was as a result of taking the connectors apart to get up to the module itself to, to test it. Right. And then after it was cleaned, put back together, and there was no more duplication of the problem. Um, I've been, I've driven it now for the last three weeks and haven't had any more codes or any stalling. And uh, so the mechanic so, is wondering if it's, it's if possible. it was just that or it's possible. If, it's, if it's a problem waiting, waiting to happen again. You know, it's in, in my mind, It's in, in, and, you know, we're just having a, a general conversation, Eric. In my mind, it's a problem waiting to happen because my understanding is the fuel pump modules are problematic. They It's an improved upon design. I think they changed vendors on them from my understanding. So I don't know that you're taking one out and putting back in the exact same part. I think there's some improvements there. Uh, you know, my question would be, why were the connectors dirty? Because that should have been a weather pack, weatherproof seal. So then if they weren't that dirty to begin with, then why did unplugging them make it different? So, yeah, is it a problem just waiting to happen? The only way you're going to know is two things. You're either going to change it or drive it and hope for the best. And other than that, there's not much else you can really do if you can't duplicate the problem. I'm on the car doctor. Mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. 